This is Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. I'm Amy Brown. Last fall on Maine Currents, we took a look at hate group activity in Maine. October's show featured a discussion with journalists Crash Berry and Andy O'Brien, Shanna Bellows, then director of the Holocaust and Human Rights Center of Maine, and Steve Wessler, founder of the Civil Rights Unit in the Maine Attorney General's Office, a human rights consultant, and also host of Change Agents here on WERU. And then in November, we heard a presentation by Mark Potok of the Center for Analysis of the Radical Right. Both of those shows are up on our archives at weru.org if you missed them. Today, nearly two months after the insurrection in D.C., we're talking with two of the reporters for Mainer that have been covering far-right extremism and hate groups in the state. Andy O'Brien is joining us again along with fellow reporter Nathan Bernard to talk about some of their recent reporting. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Sure thing. You've both done a lot of reporting on far-right extremists and hate groups and sometimes individuals associated with them that hold public office or positions of power here in Maine. Let's talk about some of your work and also note to listeners, you can find the articles we're going to be discussing at mainernews.com. Let's start with the January 12th article that you worked on together about a Maine Republican committee with ties to white supremacists. Okay. Yeah. So um, back after the insurrection or during the insurrection, um, Nick Isgro, who is the former um, former chairman of the a vice chair of the Maine Republican Party and also the Waterville mayor, um, was you know tweeting a lot of praise for the insurrectionists. Um, you know, he was very supportive of what was going on down there. And then um, the Waterville Republican um, Committee, which was run by a guy named um, Sean Caron or Caron, um, was uh, posting a lot of stuff uh, in support of this this um, this group, uh, you know, the insurrectionists. And so we reported on that. And, um, you know, shortly afterwards, uh, <laughs> um, their face, the Waterville Republican Committee Facebook page went over to uh, Parlor, I think, at that time. And the next day, Nick Isgro announces retirement from politics. Mm-hmm. Um, I could add, I guess I could add just kind of exactly the post that was taken down. Yeah, so kind of, I guess, a brief overview of the post. The post basically says what happened in Washington this week was not a violent insurrection. The American people won this election. What you are witnessing with the certification of Joe Biden's win is the most blatant fraud and coup ever seen. So this was, um, you know, unfortunately, it seems like a lot of these kind of beliefs about election fraud are just kind of mainstream Republican thought at this point. Uh, the post also refers, which again, unfortunately, is um, becoming also more mainstreamed, is painting Black Lives Matter activists as violent, uh, you know, extremists. So the post refers to legalized riots, looting. Uh, they're saying this is all the BLM, you know, activists and their associated stormtroopers, who I guess you could see as, uh, you know, anyone that is left leaning that doesn't adhere to the beliefs of you know the Waterville Republican Committee and Isgro, who is further right, and these folks, the BLM activists and stormproof troopers, they want you uh, locked down, out of work, scared, and compliant. 
They want you max masked and vax vaccinated and eventually microchipped and managed like software. So they, uh, they have a, they have this caption along with a picture. The post is juxta, uh, juxtaposed with, um, the, the painting of Washington crossing the Delaware, but, uh, a slight change to the image is that, uh, you know, the flags that are flying, uh, one of which is a Confederate flag in the other, you know, it says at the very bottom of the post, American spring, it's in your blood. So, so um, that's, that's, that's the post that was taken down essentially. And it's important to, to note that like both of these guys, Sean, Karen and uh, Nick Isgro both have ties to the fascist, right? Um, if you remember Tom Kaczynski, who is the, he was a, he's a neo-Nazi and he was a former, um, town manager of Jackman. Um, Crash Barry and I reported that he was trying to start a white ethno state in, um, in Northern Maine and inviting a lot of far right, you know, white supremacist types to move to Maine and, and homestead and, and live here um, because he was attracted because we're to, to Maine because we, we're so white. Um, right after he was, um, fired by the town of Jackman, Sean Karen, who had a podcast, uh, went up to Jackman to interview him in this favorable light. Um, and he became one of his big supporters when, when, um, he, when Tom Kaczynski started another group called Maine for Mainers, which doesn't exist anymore. Sean Karen was heavily involved in that. Um, and they had protests in, in, in Waterville against the drag queen story hour, which Nick Isgro was also part of uh, attacking that thing that happened a couple of years ago. Um, and so, you know, the, you, you see that these people are trying to bring in far right fascist white supremacist ideology into the Republican party. And Caron has run for office and school board and, and stuff in Waterville trying to, trying to get into politics that way. Um, and so that's, that's a big part of our focus. And also, uh, Sean Karen also did a, uh, he had a, he had a column on former state rep, Larry Lockman's, um, white supremacist blog, main first media. Um, so, you know, you see how they, they try to get their way into all these different more mainstream outlets and, um, political positions. I've been doing a lot of research uh, about white supremacists for many years, and um, I came across a guy who's actually on Southern Poverty Law Center's um, hate map of Maine. He lives up in Machias, and he has an online uh, white supremacist library, actually. Uh, and he was promoting um, New Albion, which was this proposed white ethno state that Tom Kaczynski was promoting. And so... Crash and I were talking about it and, and um, you know, we were like, <laughs> we need to confirm this guy is actually the town manager of Jackman because I realized, oh my God, he's the same guy. He's trying to promote a white ethno state and uh, lives in, is a town manager of Jackman. Crash confirmed that and then we went public with it. And then I think that was on a Friday and by Monday they had fired him. Shortly after that, he was on... Um, WVOM, which is a conservative talk radio show in Bangor. And he tries to sort of do this sort of, he calls himself like a, a moderate 
in some sense, because he doesn't speak overtly about Jewish people. It's sort of code word and things like that. He uses dog whistles. Um, but he's very open about wanting to start a white ethno state. And, you know, I was listening to that show and they were basically platforming him, you know, giving him a platform to talk about whatever he wanted to talk about. And afterwards, there were calls from people who were saying, I support that man. I like what he's saying. Um, and so that's something we, we always have to be very careful about when we're reporting on these people because we don't want to give them a platform. You know, we want to sense deplatform them. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, it, it, it's hard to say, um, although there has been a big backlash against um, a lot of these far right groups and personalities um, since the, the January 6th insurrection. You know, you've seen the, the Proud Boys um, are now in disarray. Um, and, and a number of these groups have been kicked off of Facebook and Twitter. And so, uh, you know, we'll see where this goes. Uh, I don't think they're going away, but there are these times when you see something bad happens, like a mass shooter goes into a synagogue or, or a mosque or something, and then all of a sudden there's this big backlash and then they come back. Charlottesville was the same, same thing. We got Tom Kaczynski a few months after Charlottesville and people were still um, thinking about what happened there. That was in the public consciousness. And so it was easier to get rid of them that way. But, you know, it's, it really depends. It depends how normalized this becomes. Did Kaczynski kind of have a falling out with someone in his movement because he was taking the virus seriously at the beginning? Is that my understanding? Or where, where is he yeah. now with his uh, followers in the new Albion project? I mean, the thing is with Tom Kaczynski is he always starts a new group and a, he invents a new flag every time he, um, you know, gets deplatformed or whatever. Uh, so after New Albion, he tried to start a couple of other groups. And then when COVID hit last year, he tried, he uh, started a podcast about survivalism, you know, prep, prepper kind of stuff. And he was taking it very seriously. And he had a huge falling out with his followers because they were COVID denialists. I think he's eventually, I think he's actually come around to, you know, the, the standard far right position on, on COVID. Um, but he's always sort of transforming and reforming himself, but he's still the same old neo-Nazi. I think one thing with that <clears throat> and just, you know, a thing that um, a lot of, like you could say the, Tom would shift to saying that the the you know that COVID is a real thing, partially because there's money to be made there. I mean, selling food buckets and survival kits and Armageddon gear is a pretty lucrative grift that you know anyone from Ben Shapiro to Richard Spencer to Tom K could be pushing. And you know the backdrop of that is we're approaching a, you know, potentially violent civil war and COVID is going to go on for years. They're going to keep you locked down in your house. If you don't have these food buckets, well, right. you're out of luck. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So I'm just saying there's, regardless of him saying that COVID is a real thing, I think there's uh, a silver lining for him if he's going to lose some followers because of breaking that kind of mainstream talking point of it's a hoax. Like there has to be money to be made to do that yeah i mean it is a grift but uh and it's certainly like tom k's uh, podcast was really popular at the beginning of oh, the yeah. pandemic he had he got national attention there were national news daily beast organs. covered it 
Daily Beast yeah. covered it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and suddenly we had people like coming to crash from national reporters saying, what's up with this guy? Um, but as the Crashberry. Crashberry, yeah. And a core belief among all of these people is that there's a coming civil war. And it's and it's gonna be a race war, essentially. Exactly. Uh, and the really disturbing part is, is that you're seeing more and more of sort of mainstream Republicans spouting the same kind of, um, you know, fear-based ideology. Um, and it, I think a lot of that sort of goes back to the Turner Diaries, which inspired Timothy McVeigh, which was all about this massive race war and the, and the heroes of these white supremacists. Um, and so, you know, what Timothy McVeigh was trying to do was sort of trying to provoke this kind of, um, this war, uh, and a lot of the, a lot of the white supremacists in the '80s and '90s, and and going back the past couple of years, have been trying to provoke a race war, um, and that's called accelerationism, um, and you know it's 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 a frightening thought because you know a lot of these people are sort of isolated cells. There's sort of a leaderless resistance here, and the more mainstream conservatives that get red pilled on this stuff. Um, you know, we need to make sure we're being vigilant. And that's well, that, even, oh, sorry, no, go, go ahead, on. Nathan. I was just going to say, that's even to speak to the point of this article too, was that Tom Kay and Sean Karen, they're extreme kind of fringe characters. Tom Kay is starting to try to start an ethno state in a town with 800 people. Sean Karen is largely, it seems like a troll in an autonomous kind of Republican, you know, committee for a town. Right. But Nick Isgro is the vice chairman of the GOP party in Maine. Yeah. All these same things. I mean, on January 6th, Isgro was cheering the insurrectionists posting on Twitter saying Christ is king. And like, we need Christ more of this, king. like more rallies. We need more of this stuff. And so, I mean, he's, he also posted that same day. Nick Isgro did a man must always be ready for death for death comes when and where God wills it. So yeah, uh, that's 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 the vice chair of the GOP party in Maine. No, no. there. Well, and there the thing was, too, is that the response, there was no response from the party, but there was a call from the new mayor of Waterville, uh, Jay Quello. And sorry about pronunciation on his name, if that's incorrect. But uh, we had interviewed him for the story and he had pushed the main GOP to make a statement on it, basically saying, if this isn't what they believe, then they should say so, right? Just come out and say it, that you don't, you don't condone this, you disavow this, the insurrection was dangerous. People ultimately died from the insurrection, right? There were white supremacists at the insurrection, and this isn't what you stand for, right? But they didn't say anything. And I think that their silence would speak volumes to what they actually do believe, right? Is that right. the election was a fraud, that COVID could be a hoax that there weren't actually white supremacists at the insurrection. Right. And yeah. So, I mean, Nathan, didn't, um, didn't the water pill, I mean, the main GOP open your email several times when you, <laughs> when oh, you yeah. emailed them for comment. So it wasn't like they just ignored it. They were clearly concerned about it in some way. <laughs> they see, I have a, uh, I have email tracking on, which is one of my favorite tools at this point to see when I send out requests for comment, you know, how many times an email is opened. And I see them open it over 10 times. So you see them looking at the email, acknowledging it. Let's see if this story goes viral or get some traction. If we're going to have to address this, what our talking points are going to be that, um, yeah. So they're, they're seeing this stuff. They have all the opportunity in the world, but 
they make a they make a decision not to say anything. Yeah. And they got a lot of flack uh, after the insurrection from their own members because they forcefully spoke out against the insurrection. And so um, there's always this inner war between the main GOP. And we certainly saw that uh, with the um, with our story about the University of Maine College Republicans and their turn towards the far right. Uh, you know, which we can talk about in a moment if you want. I think- Let me just remind listeners that you're listening to WERU-FM. This is Maine Currents. I'm Amy Brown. I'm talking with reporters Andy O'Brien and Nathan Bernard, and you can find their work at mainernews.com. Nathan, I think you were about to say something. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, I think it's interesting when we talk about, and we talk about, you know, we had our piece on the main UMaine College Republicans, for instance, uh, kind of civil war that's going on. And that's on the national level, too, just in the GOP party of kind of what the identity is of the party after Trump. And I think in this case, for instance, like you look at this piece in Waterville or you talk about our UMaine College Republicans piece, I think we've had success in terms of our stories because we take local issues that speak to national problems like national narratives that are going on and i think um you know it's like the one thing that i think about the civil war and that whole narrative of what is the identity of the gop is if you look at cpac that happened this last week i mean they're bringing in golden idols of trump it's all trump 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 that looked like an easter trump I know it's like one of those foil covered (laughs) cheap chocolate things. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. hundred percent. Now you say a hundred percent, but I mean, it's just going to say, I think it's pretty much figured out. Right. I, and before the insurrection, we have to remember that there were hundreds of like, of all these folks in the, in the house of Republicans that were signing on saying, Oh no, the, we should invalidate these election results because it's fraudulent almost every single Republican senator was either saying it was fraud or saying nothing at all in Susan Collins case, basically of, Oh, it's, you know, this, this will pass. It'll, it won't be a problem. But, you know, before the insurrection, no one was saying anything about the election fraud conspiracies. Right. I mean, no one was saying anything about COVID being a hoax. Trump was, this was all, this was all the mainstream talking points and just looking at CPAC and seeing that imagery and seeing the straw poll that came out of there of who do you want to be the presidential election nominee for the Republican Party 2024? Trump got like 55 percent of the votes and then Ron DeSantis got 25 percent of the votes. Right. The guy that is most openly saying his whole thing is anti-mask. It's not real. Go have a meal. No big deal. Right. It's, it's not a problem. Go to your restaurants, live your life. These are the people that uh, the Republican Party looks up to. So um, I think, uh, you know, the 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 inner the intra party drama and fighting, uh, I think that's the the isgros of the world. Unfortunately, I think have kind of come out on top and that's where the party is headed. It's election fraud. If the election doesn't go our way, it's covid is a hoax. Right. It's you know, anti-vax. You know what I'm saying? It's all that. Yeah, I mean, it becomes this just mass of conspiracies, just one to the next. And, you know, certainly QAnon is the biggest one, but we were hearing um, a lot. There was these uh, rumors that the um, Chinese uh, Communist Party was invading Maine. Um, I don't know if you saw that, but that was going around a lot on social media where they had these pictures of tanks and they're like, they're headed through the Quebec border at Jackman. Uh, They're going to hit like the town of Robinston and like 
the poor people in Robinson were getting all these calls from conspiracy nuts because, um, you know, they were saying, oh, here they're attacking you. And that came from like some conspiracy theorist who actually is broadcast from a pirate radio station in Aroostook County. Um, but he lives in New Jersey anyway. He's like a popular guy in the on uh, conspiracy land. But now that's all getting absorbed into the mainstream conservative movement. So, you know, you've got those conspiracies. You've got people now saying that there's no snow in Texas and they have people like, you know, burning snowballs to show that like, look, it's fake. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it would be, it would be hilarious if it, if it wasn't so dangerous. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing is that, I mean, some of these things, the mental gymnastics are so absurd that sometimes all you can do is kind of laugh at them and just, it's so it's such bad faith that I mean, there's guys like Matt Schlapp, who's a Republican commentator that's still going on mainstream news saying, oh, the, the commentators will say, well, you lost all the court cases for election fraud. There was none found. And he says, well, that just means that we, our case lost in court doesn't mean it wasn't true. It's nice. well, like what what barometer do we have for truth then? Right. It is interesting, though, like even I saw recently, like they were broadcasting some QAnon rally on some station, some conservative network, and they had to actually stop and break in the producers because they knew that if YouTube found out, YouTube would take their video down because now they're cracking down on some of that stuff. I don't know how long that will last or how effective it will be, but it is... (laughs) positive development, I guess. You focused on law enforcement and the state capitol police in an article that uh, you did, Nathan, back in January called Chief of Maine's Capitol Police Radicalized by Far-Right Conspiracies. Can you talk about that one? Yeah, I mean, I think it speaks to a lot of what we're talking about of like these ideas of election fraud, COVID hoax that, you know, uh, prominent members of the Jewish community, Black and Hispanic folks that you know, are working in finance in the media, that they are responsible for all these things, whether it's the vaccines or the election results, it's it's their problem. And so uh, Russell Galvin, who is was the main capital ch- police chief, he's currently on temporary leave after our story. We found that his Facebook page was just littered with these far right conspiracies. So, I mean, at the top, and it kind of if we look at it just kind of through the piece chronologically, you can kind of see him descending from the George Floyd protest till now, just into believing these, you know, kind of like far right conspiracies. Right. So, I mean, it starts off with COVID and everything. And I mean, he's going around, he's questioning the CDC rulings. He's making light of them. And uh, like the problem here is like he's sharing articles that are literally saying, uh, you know, face masks make you stupid and docile and susceptible to authoritarian control. So uh, if he were, I'll say this, like if he were working as a barista at a, a coffee shop, I think there is like an argument to be made that it's just free speech and he can put these ideas out and the repercussions may be lighter. But this guy is responsible in Augusta for upholding the mask mandate. He's responsible for if there's violent protests at the Capitol, he's responsible for keeping them in line. So right off the bat, you have a guy that doesn't believe in COVID enforcing the mask mandates in the Capitol, right? So, yeah, I think, Andy, Andy were you going to say something? Yeah, I mean, the, 
it's not, and it's also not just about posting uh, conspiracies on Facebook. It's the fact that it's affecting his job. I mean, there were complaints exactly. inside the state house about Chief Gavin for a long time until finally we were just like, okay, this needs to be reported on. Um, and there were complaints from legislators who say that he he refused to enforce mass mandates in the leg in the state house. Uh, you know, and and because there was no enforcement of mass mandates, a committee clerk just quit because she she was afraid to be around all these people without masks. And the other thing he did was when the women's march uh, organized a rally in January 2018. Um, Gavin said that they needed a two million dollar insurance policy um to protect against uh extremism or yeah because i believe was the, the yeah because women in pink pussy hats are going to you know riot on the capitol i mean come on and but he didn't do that with right-wing protesters who are you know who are actually known to commit violence and you know we've seen that with a lot of these anti-mask groups who will go right up to the blaine house and put used masks on trees um and a lot of these um you know QAnon conspiracy theorists and 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 gun nuts going up to the capitol and and protesting all the time and and you know they have their freedom of speech that's fine but he was treating one group differently than the other and the aclu had to step in and say you can't do that yeah. So it's effect that was I think the, the crux definitely is it's affecting his job and his job requires that you have to if you're going to effectively enforce a mask mandate, fundamentally, you have to believe that masks are going to protect you against what is a dangerous virus. And he didn't believe that. And, you know, coming up to kind of the next big, uh, you know, realm of conspiracies for the far right and also for Galvin just in his posting history to kind of look at his Facebook where the BLM protest after the George, you know, George Floyd's murder this summer and then all the protests that happened against police brutality. And for um, for Galvin, I mean, he, he has guys like ex-cops that are posting on his feed and he starts sympathizing with these ex-cops that are saying, listen, our last chance for a peaceful solution to BLM went out the door the day that these four cops who were responsible for George Floyd's murder were fired. Like any peaceful solution, no chance now. Our only option at this point are to use live rounds and napalm on BLM protesters, right? And Galvin is like, hey, sounds like a decent idea, right? Like he's like sympathizing with these views. So again, he is responsible for overseeing protests and protecting the Capitol, allowing protests for anti-maskers. You know, he's allowing them not to have permits and go throw dirty masks, which just past being repulsive is also dangerous onto the Blaine House. They didn't have a permit when they held that protest, which and they were very encouraged, by the way, the Capitol Police responded. They, oh, they yeah. They posted <laughs> one of their posts on Facebook about, hey, look at this. They thought we were great. Right. Yeah. And they, and they, exactly. pose, and they carry signs in Belfast at their protests and say, we support chief gun. Yeah. So, this has become a thing around everyone. Yeah. All the anti-maskers say, Oh, this is our guy. He's our guy. Right. Like, yeah. They, and they the were Republican, laughing with us. And all of the Republican caucus and the legislature signed a letter of support for him saying we stand with chief Gavin. So, you know, you know, which side they're on. Well, this led to a lot of concern coming up to inauguration day when state capitals were warned to be on the lookout for possible insurrection at state capitals. 
and people were worried about what would happen within the Capitol Police here. So what did happen with that? Were any measures taken against him? Was he censured at all or? Well, I think, yeah. And because, you know, it went from them to then exactly like you said, the insurrection happened and there was concern at state capitals across the country that there were going to be similar uprisings at state capitals, a la what happened in Michigan, right, where they just basically let these armed protesters come into the you know the state capitol building. There's fear something like that could happen in Maine. And Galvin, then when you look at his Facebook page, well, what does he think about the election? Does he maybe sympathize with some of these uh, insurrectionists. And, you know, he's posting anonymous editorials on his Facebook, Galvin is, from far-right websites like Law Enforcement Today, which is a, you know, very, very pro-Blue Lives Matter. Uh, the cops are our last line of defense against the violent Marxist BLM activists, that whole, right, like realm of far-right conspiracy thinking. Uh, and in that article that Galvin was sharing, you know, it's, the election, it's this article is saying that the election was a psychological operation of epic proportions. And again, it's citing prominent Jewish, black and Hispanic finger, figures in finance and media as the culprits of who were responsible for this. So again, it's, oh, BLM are the bad guys, right? This is the, the, the election wasn't real. And Galvin even went as far as posting he had zero confidence in the election results, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So what's happened with him? He's still, uh, they, they said they, uh, put him on leave while they're sort of, I guess, doing an investigation. And that's sort of the last we've heard. Yeah. I think the, the flow was that our article came out and it went really viral on the internet. And we found that again, if there's things that are locally interesting and locally important that get kicked up to national news, like our story was then rewritten and republished in places like Washington Post and the Daily Beast and Newsweek, like Huffington Post. So it started hitting these national outlets. And right after, it's funny because, you know, we reached out to uh, Police Commissioner Michael Sauschuk for comment. We reached out to uh, Janet Mills for comment. Radio silence. I see them open the emails 15 plus times. They're looking at it. They're forwarding it around. Uh, so we see them see that, but again, it goes viral. And then the next was uh, a statement of apology from Galvin, right? Saying, oh my God, this was so bad. And then a statement from Commissioner Sauschuk and Janet Mills saying, we don't condemn this. We disavow this. There should be an investigation into this. Um, so there was actually a response then to the story. And like Andy said, the next kind of step from that response from the higher ups were, all the Democrats, uh, led, I believe, by Charlotte Warren, had put together a letter that said an apology just isn't enough. Like this guy shouldn't be in this role if he doesn't believe in masks. He shouldn't be enforcing the mask mandate. If he thinks the election is a fraud, uh, then he shouldn't be protecting us against people that also believe this and are getting violent. It just is common sense. Right. Uh, they released that letter within days. Then, like Andy said, all the Republicans in the legislators are basically backing Galvin saying, no, 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 this is just free speech. He can say whatever he wants. This is cancel culture at its worst. Actually, an anti-masker should be enforcing mask mandates. And a guy that agrees with the insurrectionist should be allowed to protect the Capitol. Right. Like I'm being slightly like hyperbolic, but that's the essence of what they had said. So, again, just like we see again, it's um, 
you know, we didn't do a story on kind of that follow-up, but I, I would like to when there's a conclusion, because right now, Galvin, the finale of that was he's on temporary leave, right? And there's still an investigation going on, but I literally woke up this morning thinking, well, it's been a month plus now. Uh, what's what's left to be investigated here? Have we made a decision? And he's still on temporary leave at this point. So that's that's kind of where it ended. But I think this, just how separated the responses were of all the democrats say he should be out all not leave out a few the majority of the democrats say he should be out the majority of the republicans say he should stay on the grounds of free speech it's again it's something that speaks to just the national issues of when we look at even just passing stimulus bills like our you know covid relief package all the republicans say no all the democrats say yes bipartisanship i just don't know how it exists or how we come to this common ground in a time like this. And I think, again, uh, like looking at this, just again, it like speaks to just these national trends that you see here in Maine on just kind of local levels. But uh, yeah, he's a uh, he's put on temporary leave at this point is kind of where it's left. Yep. I mean, this is mass radicalization. What is happening here? I mean, it's somebody who, you know, Chief Govan, I, I don't know. He might have been sort of a mainstream um, mainstream Republican at one point, but now they're just all getting red pilled. And, you know, it's, it's very difficult to deal with the fact that you've got what 70 something million people, 76 million people who voted for Trump and many of them subscribe to these conspiracy. Yeah. I, I think, I think that also speaks to just when we're talking about free speech and you look at the Republicans argument to this, uh, it's oh, it's his private beliefs that he's airing. Well, this wasn't a direct message chat between him and a buddy of his that then was leaked to us. And then subsequently we post that private conversation. This was him posting publicly on his Facebook wall ideas from election fraud to napalming BLM supporters to sympathizing, you know, with the forest right people that, you know, we we have. Right. So uh he feels okay enough to be sharing this stuff publicly and only in his apology, he starts saying, well, I, I guess I could see how this could make me yeah. not a good fit for this job. Like, I guess I can see why this was wrong, but like Andy said, it's so ingrained just in the thinking of mainstream, like the mainstream conservatives at this point that, well, everyone's talking about our, our president was talking about election fraud, but why is it a problem if I talk about it? So mm-hmm. there's a lot of unraveling of that to be done. Uh, and yeah, like Trumpism isn't going anywhere, I think is like a lot of what we're reporting on. And it's important to keep eyes on these people for sure. Nathan, I think it was in uh, your reporting, citing the Portland Press Herald that uh, Rachel Talbot Ross, Representative Rachel Talbot Ross, was looking at trying to have the legislature have a say, says, quote, the legislature, she's quoted saying the legislature should have a say in its own security and should be a partner in directing our own safety as well as the safety with those of whom we work and the members of the public as they engage in the legislative process, close quote. And it looks like the bill was accepted for consideration in this legislative session, even though it was submitted late. So, you know, maybe that will get at least a, some type of public hearing you're listening to Maine Currents on WERU-FM. I'm Amy Brown. We're talking today with reporters Andy O'Brien and Nathan Bernard. You can find their work at mainernews.com. I wanted to move on to another one of the articles that uh, you have worked on recently, looking at some of this extreme right and um, 
sorry, the buzzer going off there. Uh, some of the more recent articles, I know you've both been working on this for, for a long time. Uh, and we, as I said last fall, spoke with uh, Andy O'Brien and uh, Crash Barry, who have been working in previous years as well on some of these um, investigations. And let's see, we talked about the Capitol Police radicalization. I think the next one I wanted to make sure that we talked about before we run out of time is the piece that you did on the man from Maine who was arrested in connection with the insurrection in DC. Yeah. Um, Says Andy. When I saw, um, when I saw that guy on the news, on, in the newspapers with his picture and blood flowing down his face, I knew exactly who he was. Um, a couple of years ago, um, represent former rep Larry Lockman led this attack on Senator Roger Cates bill um, to allow uh, to, to create these immigrant welcome centers. Um, one was supposed to be in Lewiston and would teach new Mainers, um, you know, English, teach them job skills, you know, get them ready for the workforce. Um, and Larry turned this into a huge culture war issue. And he said it was part of the war on whites. Um, you know, just because you're teaching immigrants how to speak English. Um, and so there were a number of um, far right activists who came up to Augusta to testify against this. Um, and one of them was a man named um, uh, Fitzsimons, right? What is his first name? Kyle Fitzsimons. Kyle Fitzsimons. And he, um, he just delivered this basically a white supremacist speech in front of the uh, legislative committee that was considering this bill. Uh, he said he moved to Maine from Rhode Island, uh, New York, because it was there were multicultural hells down there. And he accused Roger Cates of trying to replace uh, white Mainers with uh, people of color, which is, you know, the great replacement white genocide conspiracy theory that, you know, Jewish people are conspiring to replace white people. Uh, and of course, Senator Cates was, is Jewish. Um, and he, he focused a lot of his testimony on attacking Cates. Um, and he just, he just kept hammering on this point that, um, you know, oh, and the other thing he said was that, um, uh, Cates was trying to exterminate uh, older white people as a, in a form of eugenics because he had a death with dignity law that would, you know, allow people in, you know, terminally ill to end their lives. Um, and so he gave this big speech. And, and uh, I remember writing about it at the time in the free press as an example of how Larry Lockman was um, radicalizing a lot of people and, and with really, really ugly ideologies to come up to Augusta. And, um, and so then it turns out he was at the Capitol, uh, Capitol insurrection, and uh, he bull charged the, the cops at the Capitol several times, and they beat him with the batons. So he never got in to the Capitol because he was in the hospital getting stitches. But he came back to Maine and started talking about it at, at the Lebanon uh, selectmen's meeting about what happened and they applauded him the selectmen oh, um you know he also uh a legislator down in in kittery 
represents that area also came forward and said that he had cornered, he, he was a butcher. He was actually talking about wearing his butcher coat into the Capitol. He said he like grabbed it when he was down there, but he worked at a, he was a butcher at Hannaford and he followed her into the parking lot and blocked her car with his truck and just started ranting at her about gun control laws. And he's all, he was also up at the Capitol um, testifying against reg, red flag laws, which would allow, um, which would allow you to petition a court like family members and people to petition a court that somebody was unsafe and they should not have weapons. <laughs> and this guy was a key example of why we needed a red flag law. Um, so he was active in politics. He was running a petition to make um, town of Lebanon like a gun control free zone, you know. Oh, what are, uh, they, uh, what are they calling them? Second Amendment sanctuaries? Section, yes, Second Amendment sanctuaries. Um, and, and he also left a suspicious package down by the Portland Museum of Art where they, and they had to actually um, evacuate down there, which I guess there was nothing in it, but um, Portland police um, <laughs> pointed that out. So, um, you know, he's another example of one of these people who came to Maine because we're so white and they want to build an ethno, a white ethno state here. Tom Kaczynski, this guy, guy up in Machias came here because he's waiting for the end of the world, some sort of race war Armageddon. Um, you know, we've seen people or members of Tom Kaczynski's group that have come from Maryland and Florida and other places um, because they don't want to be around people of color. And they're trying to transform Maine into their view of what some sort of warped utopia would be. They think if yeah. they move into a small town and have enough people move in with them, they basically can take over the politics of that town. Yes, absolutely. I mean, they, we've seen that happen out out west, where white supremacists will just try to take over a town, um, and you know they'll, yeah, they just everybody moves in, they run for office, and then they can basically run the town. They did that down in um, New Hampshire, but it was libertarians, and they basically just. Um, repealed all the taxes and so that the town was just falling apart there's a good book about it bear started arriving and um, oh i want to read that i remember yes a libertarian and a bear i will say one thing i mean first off again i think this piece did really well because the archived video spoke to just this national argument of there are there were no white supremacists at the insurrection it is a talking point that is being perpetuated by folks pretty much all across the spectrum on the right and some on the left just trying to downplay that this was a violent insurrection with extremists in the ranks right and um i mean it, like this guy again like andy said he wasn't just at the insurrection waving a flag in the back he was bull rushing the line multiple times and was only subdued because he was batoned so viciously into his skull that he started to bleed and had to back off. So this guy wanted very badly to get into the Capitol. And, um, you know, I think it's a pretty much dead giveaway if he's saying, if people are saying this isn't a white supremacist, I mean, Maine is 95% white. This guy is worried that's going to become a multicultural hellhole. Like, come on, like it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's not good. So I think um, I think one thing just kind of generally about Mainer and when we do these pieces as well is why they have some success and are like different than other pieces, maybe in more mainstream papers in Maine and around is that like 
Maynard came from Dash as like an old weekly. And because we don't ad like adhere to so much of like the AP style guidelines, when people say, oh, was he actually racist? Was he actually a white supremacist? We are very explicitly showing that language. And that is our role in a lot of the media is to say, no, this is, and this guy is talking about uh, the, the great replacement theory. And it's in very explicit terms is talking about you know, white supremacy and his you know, disdain for immigrants. And so we've had a couple of pieces like this where anytime now, because it's just become repeated so often of racism or white nationalism, people say, well, was he really racist? Was he really white nationalist? Because there's skeptics out there and always right. have been. And you can show stuff like this and it says, well, yeah, wow. I don't, I don't know how you can argue with this video from this man's own words that he isn't a white nationalist. Right. Or doesn't yeah. believe that white people should be afforded certain benefits in life. Right. Like what did how did he end the his his quote, his like speech that day? He was like he was like, I'm worried about Maine becoming a multicultural hellhole. Let's keep Maine Maine, a.k.a. let's keep Maine white. And he ended his talk by saying the state flag has two white laborers on it. Don't put them at the end of the at the end of the line. And it's yeah. just it, what that's you know so he if if there is any small infraction against him it's you know a massive conspiracy against white people is and that's uh you know i think it's important to show that stuff because if you just say it and explain it without showing the words it uh it loses some of the punch behind it but you know mm -hmm. that a lot of people have become more skeptical of these things which makes it all the more important to show that there are vicious racists out there and like white supremacy is real and you can show what these people say to prove it yeah we we've we actually had one of our issues uh removed from hannaford because we oh, Jesus. Yeah. we didn't sugarcoat language uh in a in a facebook news group uh about uh, a, a somali american city councilor uh, just really ugly, violent stuff. Um, so I do think it's it is important to do that. You have to do it right. Um, yeah. Wait, Nick, can you explain yeah. that a little bit more though? Because what the way you just explained it man, sounded like you all had said stuff about a Somali city. No, 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 no. We yeah, were reporting exactly. on people in a Lewiston Facebook group that were uh, threatening a Somali American city council, and actually Facebook responded to that article because it went viral. <laughs> and um banned a couple of those people but the facebook still exists um we actually got a message from their chief technology officer because everybody was coming down on facebook that week um but, but my point is is that some um re mainstream reporters don't report on this because they'll say well we don't want to give them a platform and on one level i do understand that but on another level like people need to understand these connections and the line is blurring even more where you can just be like, oh, you're just you just want to censor free speech. You know, these people have a right. And they're like, well, no, these people have uh, an ideology that leads to mass genocide. You know, we've seen this in the past. And so what I see a part of our role is, is to shed a light on these people. And so other people know about them. And so they understand that they're not welcome in the community. Um, we should have a zero tolerance policy for people who believe in these great replacement white genocide theories uh, because it, it justifies mass murder. You know, it's the same thing with QAnon where QAnon believes that the world is, you know, that ev everything is being controlled by this um, 
cabal, which has very anti-Semitic overtones to it. Um, they believe that you know people who politically disagree with them are somehow being paid, that they're part of this uh, grand conspiracy by the you know, the cabal and, and that, you know, they're Satan worshiping pedophiles. That's a way to dehumanize people. And when you dehumanize people, you're basically saying that you're, you're justifying any kind of action against them. Is it going to be yeah. harder to do your work now that Facebook and Twitter are cracking down and that parlor has been effectively shut down? Um, I think, I think this from just watching this online, uh, even before I started doing stuff with Manor, is that here's an example. So after Charlottesville, there was Twitter put down its foot and removed a ton of very openly neo-Nazi accounts. And it was, it was people on the right called it the Great Purge, right? And anytime one of these big real world events happen, these social media platforms, because they're getting so much bad PR around their role in letting people organize these and they have to, unfortunately, there has to be a death toll, it seems like, for any of these people to take this seriously. And by people, I mean, like, you know, uh, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, you name it. Um, so I feel like it's cyclical, like they'll take off a big swath of users, they'll get some good PR for that. And then they'll move on until it happens again. And there's any form of accountability. I think when these people are kicked off, though, there's always like there used to be Gab, which was and is still around, but it uh, was a safe haven for a lot of the folks that got banned in the wake of Charlottesville uh, Parlor, Of course, there's plenty of leaks that show that that alternative tech platform uh, was a haven for a lot of these right wing conspiracists and insurrectionists that were organizing and ultimately stormed the Capitol. Uh, so I think they find places to go. I mean, we have a group now in Belfast uh, and around the state who are anti-maskers that hold a weekly protest in Belfast every Saturday. Now, they used to organize these protests primarily on Facebook. Uh, Facebook subsequently banned them because they were banning a whole wave, again, of like anti-mask people, COVID misinformation. They got a lot of heat. And so they wanted to take off just basically keyword search. Uh, you know, for them, it was Mainers Against Mask Mandates. Pretty easy just to pick up in an algorithm saying, let's ban an account like this. Let's ban a page like this. But that group then moved to MeWe, which is another just alternative tech platform that, again, just keep kind of popping up. They'll rise up in popularity. They don't usually have the tech infrastructure to actually hold any significant traffic. And if they do, uh, there's plenty of security concerns and, you know, they'll crash for a multitude of reasons. But they attract people, MeWe, Gab, Parler, because they say, we believe in free speech so much that you want to come in here and espouse neo-Nazi beliefs or talk about COVID misinformation, we're going to let you do it. So I think... Um, like there's there's always going to be places for these people to do these things. And it's just kind of the deplatforming is just a Band-Aid. And I think this is pretty widely accepted just across any sort of anti-fascist work or right wing watchdog work is that deplatforming, it, it almost becomes like whack-a-mole where they're going to pop up on a platform. You get rid of them. They pop up, you, you know, get rid of them. And so it, it's just important to know where they are. But to stop them entirely from organizing is just it's such a challenging feat because again, like they get banned from Facebook, they organize on MeWe, right? So you have to, you just know where they're going to go. I don't think it necessarily makes it harder. Uh, it just, um, it makes their impact less. I think deplatforming works, but it's, um, 
you know, it's, it's not like the ultimate solution, but the work, the work can still continue. And it's interesting work to find these alternative tech platforms like a parlor or a MeWe or Gab and see, you know, why they attract people, what sort of people they attract and just where the line is for a lot of these platforms in terms of hate speech. We have just a couple minutes left. I wanted to ask you just real quickly, if you as reporters or if Mainer in general have received a lot of backlash or threats about your work that you've been doing over the past few years? Um, we have had, we have had a number of attacks. You know, we had, we had uh, the Mainers again, Mainers, um, what was it? Main for Mainers group, Tom Kaczynski's white supremacist group sent out a, um, sent out a mailing to every one of our advertisers um, accusing us of all kinds of horrible things um, and trying to get us, get all our advertisers to stop advertising with us. You know, I've had people make videos of me and Crash accusing us of being pedophiles. Uh, you know, I've had sort of uh, vague threats before, um, but it's, it's not like if you're some, like for us, we're two dudes. Uh, you don't get nearly as much attacked if you're a white dude than you are a woman or a person of color. And we've had people contact saying like, we would love to get involved in this, but I'm a woman, I'm a black person, I'm this or that. Um, and that's, you know, that's really unfortunate. Um, but a lot of the work that we do is focusing on the connections between between um, people in authority and people in power and white supremacist movement, whether it's the police, public officials, um, people in the legislature. Um, and so those people know better <laughs> than, to, than to go after a reporter. Yeah. Go ahead, oh, no. Nathan. I was gonna say, I mean, before even working with Maynard, I had built up and how I met Maynard ultimately, uh, you know, I've done a decent amount of work just on Twitter itself of just posting about far right groups, you know, from neo-Nazis really way, way back in like 2015 was when I really started getting active with it um, and seeing a white nationalist movement kind of popping up again, not popping up. It's always been there, but becoming more prominent in the United States. And since then, I mean, there's just been a deluge anytime any post goes viral or article goes viral in this case that you're going to get a lot of people hating you from talking about cancel culture and free speech or the more vicious, violent people saying they're going to behead you or kill you. I've had people post pictures of my family online. It's just like you name it. Right. Getting people. Boxed. Yeah, exactly. So it's all I, one of my friends has had a proud boy show up to his doorstep. Right. Yeah. And, you know, so it's these things happen just in this line of work. I think, like Andy said, if you're a woman, especially, I think uh, there's just a through line of misogyny and anti-feminism in all of these groups that if you're a woman doing this reporting, you get 10 X the amount of harassment. Yeah. Like it's just, it's disgusting. Well, but Sorry you know, to have happens. to end the, end that there so much more to talk about. And I hope that you'll both join me again on main currents and continue keeping us up to date with your reporting. But in the meantime, again, mainernews.com is where people can find it. Is there an email address if people want to send you tips or find out more about supporting Mainer News? Yeah, there should be an email address uh, on the, the website. website. And 
you can even just Nathan T Bernard at gmail.com, even just my personal address, you could send it to. Um, and we are also, uh, are the print version of the magazine that we print monthly is in close to 500 locations across Southern and central Maine. So you can also find the work there. And if you wanted to, uh, you can subscribe at patreon.com for to receive a, a digital version of the print magazine or we'll mail it to you if you pay a little bit more, but yeah, that's a, uh, you know, I think you can get in touch via the website for email stuff for sure. You've been listening to Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture on WERU-FM. I'm Amy Brown. This program was recorded on Monday, March 1st, and my guests today were reporters Andy O'Brien and Nathan Bernard. You can find their work at www.mainernews.com. Be sure to catch Maine Currents on the first Tuesday of every month at 4 o'clock. Our shows are also archived at weru.org. Stay tuned for Radio EcoShock coming up next here on WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and streaming online at WERU.org.